Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I love I love doing stuff like that. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, a church should be about family. So, Nelson, uh, I appreciate your thoughts on that today, and what a beautiful example. Uh, I know Caden, is, is, he would not, like, love to draw attention to himself, uh, but I love that we get to, to do that and shower those things on you, and as I was standing up there, I was thinking, wow, this Fleischman family sure is tall, or <laughs> I, I sure am short or something, I don't know, but uh, <clears throat> that's beautiful, so thanks for letting us celebrate with you, uh, that's, that's awesome. Today we are wrapping up uh, our series uh, called Remodeled, and we've been looking at uh, deconstruction over the last seven weeks now. Um, we've been talking about this idea of deconstruction and what that all entails and, uh, and doubts that come along and how do, we, how do we do that in a healthy way. And so I don't want to try to recap the last uh, seven weeks with you, but uh, I pray that it's been um, a, a good, healthy journey for you as we've looked at some of those things that, that are pieces of our faith that if we don't put them in in the right way, in the right order, at the right time, uh, they can cause us issue and we have to go back in a healthy way and readdress those things. And so my prayer for you over the last several weeks together is that that's been something that's been helpful to your faith. Uh, and today I will just tell you this, um, that this very text has been kind of the foundation for this whole uh, sermon series that we've gone through. Uh, this text, several years ago when I kind of re-looked at it um, uh, with some fresh eyes. I don't know. I don't know your story. My story is I grew up in church. I was kind of first generation church. I grew up in church. So a lot of these stories in the Bible were really familiar with me, but sometimes we need kind of a fresh look. And I remember a few years ago looking at this story with kind of a fresh take and it opened my eyes to some things about deconstruction and wondering where some of those doubts come from and and understanding a little bit better about myself. And so I pray today that as we conclude this series, uh, that, that this message uh, it, it does something kind of foundational to kind of help pull everything that we've been talking about together. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 8. Uh, and uh, we're going to start in verse 22 today. But I just, I just want to say this as we kind of get into this story today that I think we've been justly critical of external sources uh, that have shaped our faith and eventually led to deconstruction. And I say justly critical, I don't mean just, you know, poking fun at or, or pointing fingers at. I mean, there's some areas that have shaped our faith that have been external sources. And I think we have to go back through and look at those things uh, in, in a healthy way. Uh, suffering and injustice are some of those church leaders and Christians who didn't necessarily act like it at the time. Uh, being taught unhealthy views of the Bible or how to interpret or apply the biblical text uh, and all of the flaws and disappointments that come from being a part sometimes of a church family. But today, today I'm going to ask you uh, to be really honest with yourself. Have you ever noticed that it's super easy to point out the flaws in all the people around you? 
Uh, it's, it's one of the, you know, yeah, yeah. Some of, you, some of you are like, no, I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, please. I, I've been around you. Uh, so let's just be honest. Um, I think it's funny. Have you, ever, have you ever gone, I don't know, how many of you like to go to like a scary movie? You like to watch scary movies? Some of you, nobody does. Three people, good. Same three people, always, same, same way. Uh, so I love it. And one of the things I love about it is to watch other people watch scary movies. I think it's I think it's humorous uh, because people will get more drawn into a scary movie than any other kind of movie, and uh, and you can you can watch them as they're having kind of a visceral experience with the movie, and so they know they know something bad is going to happen before it happens. Right, the music gets dark. Right, the person's doing things that you're like, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Please don't do. That. You know, like you start talking out loud uh, and. You're like, don't, you know, don't go outside. Why would anybody go outside? Why would you go outside, right? You're the only person there. Don't open the door. Don't open the door. Don't. Why are you opening the door, you know? And I think that's interesting because we can always see the bad moves that other people make, right? You've been there with your own kids. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. They did it. You know, I, you can see it with coworkers. You can see it with family members, but you know who it's really hard to see it for? You. It's really hard to see it when it's you. And so today we're going to look at a story that you've probably heard before, but we're going to look at it in the context of what I think the author, Mark, was writing it for. And you might realize that it has way more to do with us than you'd ever thought before. We're going to start in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. This is what it says. They, they meaning Jesus and his disciples, came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him and Jesus asked, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people. And they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and his eyes were open, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. End of story. How many of you would agree that that's a weird story? That's odd. Um, and I think any time that we read something in the Bible, we have to ask, what's that about? What's going on here? Because in no other text that we have do we have Jesus performing a miracle or needing to perform a miracle twice in order to happen. In fact, he doesn't even have to be there, right? We, we have learned through, through a lot of things that just, if you just speak it, it will happen. And so it's interesting that we have this story where Jesus has to heal this man essentially twice. The first time doesn't fully take. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that's kind of how my baptism was, right? I mean, I did it once and it just didn't seem to take. I had to do it again. What was going on with this man? And what I want to propose to you is this, is that miracle, a miracle uh, in, the, in the telling and the, the, the life of a miracle is often a parable. And I know what you're thinking. So, Steve, is that what you're saying is that miracles aren't real? And I'm not suggesting that. I'm just suggesting that in the process of a miracle, we also have a parable. And a parable is something we're familiar with if we're 
familiar with Jesus' teachings. Oftentimes, he teaches us through parables. And parable, the word parable, if you break it down, actually means throwing alongside of. So there's a truth, right? And then alongside of that truth, we have something that we can understand a little more clearly. It's a little more everyday language. And so he throws something alongside of so we can grasp the meaning of what's happening. And I would like to tell you that in this story, I believe there is also a parable. In this miracle, I believe there's also a parable. It's something that we can grasp and see a little more clearly. No pun intended for the blind man. In this story, if that is true then we have to look at what's happening. Jesus takes the man out of the village. We're going to talk about that in just a, just a little bit because that's also interesting. He doesn't do that with everybody. And he spits on the man's eyes, which is gross. Then he touches him. And then he says, what do you see? Now notice every other time he heals, he doesn't ask those questions. It's almost as if he's getting at what's going to happen next, right? Have you ever asked somebody that you already knew the answer to, but you asked them anyway because you wanted to hear what they had to say about it? Did you clean your room? You already know. But you want to hear what they have to say. And so he drags him out of the city or he leads him by the hand out of the city and he spits in his eyes and he touches him and he says, all right, tell me what you see now. And the guy says, well... I see people-ish, but they look like trees and they're walking around. I don't really know what that means. But here's what I know for sure. The man isn't blind anymore, a.k.a. he can see something. But neither can he see correctly, for he sees men walking as trees. So if I asked you, is he blind? You would say, well, no. Okay, then can he see? Well, no. Well, then what is he? Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Is he healed-ish? <laughs> is he fully restored? No. Well, what is he? I, I'm not sure. See, maybe through this miracle, Jesus is giving his disciples and you and I a tangible lesson in the spiritual things that plague you and I. And I wish we had more time today to dive into this. We just don't. So I'm going to kind of walk you through the, the stories that Mark tells both before this miracle and after. If you have your Bible, you can kind of skim along as I paraphrase what's going on. But in, in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 1, we read this story of Jesus feeding 4,000 people. If you remember the story, you remember that there's a whole herd of people that come and they're listening to Jesus and uh, it gets to the time where they're starting to become hungry. Hungry, and you know what happens if there's a large group of people who get hungry, people get hangry. And he says to his disciples, feed them. And they say, 
We can't. We don't have we, we we don't have enough money to feed these people. We don't have enough food to feed these people. And so he says, "All right, what do we have?" And they responded, "Well, we have seven loaves of bread." And do you remember the rest of the story? What happens is that Jesus prays, and they start handing out the bread. And then, if you remember back, all the way back to you know your memory verse or your time where you were you know gathering all that information, they had twelve baskets full of bread left over. This is what happens. And immediately, Mark jumps from this story of feeding 4,000 with bread to Jesus going away with his disciples. They get in a boat. And instantly, do you know, do you remember what the disciples forgot? This is ironic. Come on, shout it out if you know it. It's ironic. They forgot bread. (laughs) right? We, we just saw this miracle with bread, right? We just ate a whole lot of bread, and now Jesus goes away with his disciples on a boat, and they forget bread. Ironic. And Jesus is talking to them as they're muttering about themselves. Mark writes down, oh man, we forgot the bread. I can't believe you forgot the bread. Who, forgot, who was supposed to bring the bread? Which one was supposed to bring the bread? I think it was you. No, it was you. And Jesus says, hey, listen, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, And the crowd goes silent, and they start saying, is that because we forgot the bread? He was talking about yeast, and you need yeast and bread, and we forgot the bread. I told you you should have brought the bread. And he tells them, no, 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 no. You think I'm talking about bread. It's because you don't see clearly. See, there's something deeper that's happening, and you don't fully get it. See, you're aware. I mean, you kind of get it, man, but you don't fully get it. You're you're following me-ish, but not completely. And then we have this story of the blind man who sees clearly-ish, but not fully who's no longer blind, but still can't fully see. Mark moves on from this story to Peter's confession of Christ. We've talked about this many times in the last couple of months together. You remember the story well. Jesus, once again, he gathers his disciples together and he, uh, and he asks them, all right, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, listen, we, they think you're a great rabbi. They, they think you might be Elisha, one of the prophets. And he says, all right, well, that's great, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one of heaven. You remember what Jesus says, man, Peter, you are right. And in fact, on that truth, I'm going to build my church. And then do you remember what happens after this? Mark continues telling the story and he says, all right, on that, on that fact, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell can't come over it. But what I need to let you know is I'm going to die I'm going to be handed over to the rulers and the authorities, and they're going to kill me. And then eventually I'm going to be raised from the dead. And do you remember? You remember what Peter says? The same guy who says, listen, you are the Christ. You're the chosen one of heaven. Right, Peter? Remember what he says to Jesus after Jesus says, listen, I'm going to die. I'm going to be handed over. Peter says, no, you're not. 
We're never going to let that happen. You, listen, Jesus, come here for a minute. You can't keep saying this whole dying thing because you're scaring people. Stop saying it. And do you remember? Do you remember what Jesus says to him? He says, get behind me, Satan, for you don't understand the things of God, but the things of men. You see, it's almost as if the disciples see something, they kind of get it, but they don't fully get it. They can kind of see, they're not completely blind to what Jesus is doing, but they're kind of still blind to what Jesus is doing. See, I think deconstruction can happen from a lot of sources, but maybe Maybe biggest is deconstruction can result from knowing enough about God to feel dissatisfied in the world. And yet, consuming enough of the world that the pursuit of God no longer feels completely satisfying. And that one's a harder pill to swallow, isn't it? It's, it's, it's having our, our foot in something spiritual and saying, all right, I think I'm on board. I think I get it. I love this, but I really, I'm a part of this too. I don't fully understand. Have you ever, you, you've ever gone to any kind of, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I went to youth rallies. And I'd be so excited on fire. I'm like, all right, that's it. I'm never going to do these bad things again, right? And then like I got home and a day later, I was like, well, except for on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and any day that starts, you know, with a, and I, and I lived right back into it. But I felt so guilty because I had enough taste of God that the world just didn't seem as satisfying anymore. But I was so full of the world. I didn't really have room or, for the pursuit of God in my life. What if this story is an illustration of us? in our spiritual walk, where God says, let me heal you. And as he begins to heal us spiritually, what if we start to see things, and they're not clear, but they're just clear enough that we say, no, 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 that's good, I'm good. I wonder what would happen if, if Jesus asked the question, hey, what do you see? And he says, man, for the first time in my life, I can see. The man knows that he can't see fully. He can't see clearly. And that he need, what he needs more in his life is the touch of a Savior who will fully restore him. See, I think we throw away faith too early, too often, not because it doesn't make sense, but because where we are in our journey, it doesn't make sense to us. And that's because God is not through with us yet. Do you remember growing up, you, those of you who grew up in church, we sang this song. Maybe it was regional, I don't know. And we sang this song, and it was, God's still working on me. You remember that song? To make me what I ought to be. See, what if God is in the process of making you still? 
and the things that don't seem right, God is still working through those pieces. And you think, man, now listen, the church doesn't make sense. The Bible doesn't make sense. There's some big questions I have. And so I'm just, I think what I'm going to do instead is just dump it all out. And instead of doing that, you say, you know, it doesn't make sense right now. But it doesn't make sense right now because I can't see clearly. And I'm not alone in that. In fact, I know that those who followed Jesus the closest were people who got it sometimes and completely missed the boat other times. And it happened in such unison where it could be, we watched Jesus feed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread to, man, we forgot the bread, what are we going to do? It could be saying, listen, we recognize you are the Christ. You're the chosen one of God, and nothing on this earth could ever take that away to listen. I don't need to hear you talking about your death. That's making us nervous. Stop it. See, I wonder if we look at the disciples and we think, man, what nimrods, what imbeciles. Why couldn't they put together their faith? They're walking with Jesus, and I wonder if they would say, listen, so are you. Oh, so are you. And how are you not putting these pieces together? And so, in this story, I want us to pull away with a few, I think, helpful things, some helpful observations. So as we deconstruct, because I I told you from week one, I think that deconstruction can be a healthy and needed thing in our life, but I think we have to do it in a healthy way. There's some, story, there's some things from this story that I think are so vitally important. And the first one is this, that we need to recognize our state. Recognize where you are in your faith. See, the blind man didn't walk away uh, content with what he could see. He stayed engaged with Jesus long enough until he could see clearly. This is huge. See, sometimes I think we settle for way less than what God has in store for us. There have been times before as a parent where I had something like really big, really, uh, Veronica and I have done this before, like we had a surprise for our kids that's going to be great, you know. But have your kids ever ruined that accidentally? They they like asked for way less than what you were going to give them and they kind of, they got selfish with it. Like, You don't know, I had so much better in store for you. Because I love you. And I know you don't see that right now, but man, I, we had thought and we had planned and we had prepared all of these things for you. I think the same is true for God. See, oftentimes we settle for so much less than what God has in store for me and you. We sell ourselves short and our faith short. And we have to be careful. Now, I'm not claiming today that God is uh, ready to make you a millionaire and wipe out all your debt. And, and if he does, then just remember your favorite preacher. And if he's already taken, then come see me, okay? <clears throat> what I am saying is that God... The scripture reminds us, has a plan in store for your life, something specifically for you. And the cog in that wheel is you. You get to choose to be a part of that. 
So don't throw it away so easily. The second thing is this, that God may need to pull you out of your current surroundings before you can see more clearly. I remember uh, years ago as we would kind of talk to our kids about purity, uh, we would often go back to Matthew chapter 5. You remember where Jesus talks about, blessed are the pure in heart for they will what? Do you remember? See God, right? Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God because purity affects your clarity. Purity affects your clarity. You can't see Christ when you're so jumbled up with things. And sometimes God needs to pull us out of our current surroundings before we can see more clearly what's happening. And notice that's exactly what happens with the blind man in Bethsaida, right? Jesus uh, takes him by the hand and he leads him out of that area. Now that's interesting because it hasn't happened in, in really any of his other healings before. But if those of you who are familiar with Scripture, do you remember that Jesus talking about that city once before? Do you remember that? Do you remember what context it was? It's in Matthew chapter 11 when he calls out the woes on several cities. And he calls out a woe on Bethsaida and he says, listen, if the miracles that were performed in Sodom and Gomorrah were performed for you, or if they were performed there like they were performed for you, man, they would have repented and they, would have been, and they would have been back in relationship with me. But you have a blind eye to it all. You will not see it. Interestingly enough, Matthew and Luke and Mark all record this as well. That there's an area or a section of time or a section of people where Jesus can't do or he doesn't do miracles. And what's interesting about that is it says that because of their lack of faith, he can't do any miracles or he won't do any miracles there. Matthew chapter 13 talks about that. And here are a group of people who, remember, bring this man to Jesus and say, all right, listen, heal him. And Jesus says, yeah, before I do that, we're going to have to take a step outside the city. Why? Why, Jesus? Because sometimes I need to remove you from your context before you can see more clearly. Sometimes there's some things, I, I hate this verse so much. Jesus talks about it in John. You remember this section of scripture where he says, like, I am the gardener. And I start my pruning process and I cut off things that are dead and the things that are good. And you're like, please don't prune that. Please don't prune that. Please don't prune I prune that back too. Why? Because sometimes the removal of things in our life is what causes us to grow. And there are things that God has to delete from our life, has to remove us from so that we can see a little bit more clearly. And man, that process is so painful, isn't it? But when we look back later, we recognize that God, what God was doing in our life. So I want you to ask yourself the question, are the people that I'm surrounding myself with going to help me see Christ more clearly? We've reminded our own kids of this on many occasions that if you show me your friends, I will show you your future. Because you become what you surround yourself with. This is why the church is so important. 
last of all, this story reminds us to not give up or give up hope. You may be very frustrated where your faith is right now. There was a time where it was like growing and you felt on top of the world. You felt like God was speaking to you, but now it just feels like, man, my prayers aren't even going any higher than this ceiling, and I feel like everything's kind of caving in on me, and life does not make sense, and I don't know where to turn to next, and I wish I had a faith that sustains me, and I want to have a faith that sustains me, but right now I'm not sure I have anything that sustains me. You may be frustrated with church, with God, with prayer, with the Bible, with Christians, and with yourself. But let me remind you, church, that is not your full story. Imagine this man who couldn't see, and even after Jesus touches him, he still can't see correctly. But he does not give up. And he does not walk away. He keeps, listen to this, he keeps engaging with Jesus. Even when things don't make sense anymore. Jesus, what do you see? <laughs> You're not going to believe this. <laughs> I see people, but I would say they kind of look more like trees than people. And they're walking around. Everybody else, I think, I think you've made the matters worse. Right? He's not only blind now, but he's also crazy. Jesus, you want me to try this again? What would your response be? You know, the last time you did this, things kind of actually got a little worse. So maybe I'm good. Maybe I don't need to go through anymore. Maybe I'll just live with people walking around looking like trees. Or maybe, maybe, you don't know what hangs in the balance of your decision to wrestle with God when you want to give up. Maybe you don't know. Maybe what hangs around in the balance of that is the thing that you've been praying for, and maybe it's way better. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's clarity. Maybe it's a deeper understanding of the God you serve. I don't know, but what I do know is this, is that Luke, or, uh, um, sorry, Mark gives us this story to remind us that we live in this physical uh, body, but in a spiritual struggle with it, where it constantly tries to live in two places. We aren't completely, fully able to see what God is doing, and yet we're also discontent with the world. And so things don't always make sense. But what I want to caution you is this. It's just because you can't see clearly right now, do not give up hope and don't throw it all away. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that there is a God and he is actively redeeming the world. And it may not be where you are right now, but I can tell you if you're willing to look up and look around, you'll see it. And join it at work in the world today. Would you stand with me as I speak a blessing over you today? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be washed away in God's love for you, transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to our only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things and through all things, even when we can't see it, and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. Worship with